Hey, this is Brent Jensen, and you're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. And today I welcome to the show Mr. Bob Mayo, who authors an excellent music blog called Mayo Noise. I highly recommend this to people who are into hard rock and metal, uh, prog, anything. It's a fantastic blog. I came across it a couple weeks ago, reached out to Bob, and uh, told him how much I liked it. And here he is on the show. Bob, how's it going, man? It's going great. I'm glad to be here. Great. So, Bob, I've got your songs here. Uh, This is a very interesting list, and I'm looking forward to discussing it. I'm a metal kid at heart. You've got some metal tunes. This is... um, you know, the first time that we, we actually will feature a thrash metal song other than maybe Metallica in the discussion. We talk about a lot of different types of music on the show, but like I said, I'm a metal kid at heart, so uh, I'm looking forward to going through your list here. Oh, great. So you're going to kick it off with uh, a song from my favorite Motorhead record, Ace of Spades. I think it's the last tune on that record. It's called The Hammer. It is the last song, yeah. yeah. Um, well, why does that song make my skin vibrate? Well, I can tell you, I discovered that album when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, my high school years were not my greatest years. Okay. But that record specifically, and, and that song is my favorite on the record, it really felt like, I felt protected by that record. I felt like nothing nothing could harm me mm-hmm. with that record. All the stuff that bugged me about high school and during the day at high school, if I had a song from that record running through my head i just kind of felt fearless and i felt like i could weather whatever was happening at the time and that that's i actually quoted a line from that song in my yearbook mm-hmm. i'm sure that nobody in stoughton high school got the reference but that's <laughs> that's not a big deal uh, but i did want to represent that 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 record had really helped me get through some tough times and that song is just amazing it's it's just lent me power and, and we're going to talk a little more about metal, I guess, because I do have a lot of metal on my list. But to me, heavy metal has always been power to the powerless. It's always that was the appeal to me. And I think mm-hmm. at least in the 70s and 80s, I think that was really the appeal of metal to to adolescent kids. It's just, they, you know, that feeling of powerlessness you have and confusion and anxiety when you're when you're in those high school years. And, and metal just kind of gave you that confidence and that rush and that that feeling of invincibility and this song really encapsulates all that it's all forward thrust and it's all completely fearless and and it just gets from from a to z and takes no prisoners it's just it's really what i wished i felt like and by the end of that song i did feel like that Mm -hmm. you know i could not have said that any better myself i was a kid in the 80s growing up in a small town and i had the exact same experiences i was a maiden kid i loved metallica um and and i listened to that music because it made me feel more secure i felt like i could wrap myself in it and it it made me feel safe and and more comfortable it was like an absent friend to me walk in the halls of of my high school with that music in my head was almost like wearing a suit of armor walking around there like Mm -hmm. nobody's gonna mess with me you know, and they did, but I, I just felt like I could I could withstand it a lot better. Then it just made it more bearable. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny because I, you know, the bands that I named that I was into, and I kind of got into you know things like Metal Church and and Slayer and stuff like that, heavier stuff. But one band I never really got into for some reason was Motorhead until um, a little while after. 
and you know, the, the, for some reason they were just lost on me. I, I don't know. I don't know why that was, but, um, you know, when I discovered Ace of Spades and, you know, the chase is better than the catch and the hammer, like, you know, it's, it's, it's a fantastic record. There's a real vibe throughout that record of, of just invincibility and fearlessness that anybody out there who's listening to the podcast right now, just listen to that song. It's not even, I think it's like three minutes tops. Mm -hmm. Just listen to that song and you will know exactly what we're talking about immediately. Yeah, yeah. And it's not extreme metal by any means. I mean, back in 1980 it was, but things have progressed so crazily. Oh yeah. Nowadays, that it, it's it's kind of the just hyper rock and roll now, but at the time it was extreme. But it, it's very accessible, I would think, and I think uh, at, at its core, all of Motorhead's music is just revved up rock and roll. Absolutely, agree. So don't be afraid to listen to it. It's it, you're gonna love it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, your next tune, Bob, is by Blue Oyster Cult. Don't fear the Reaper. Blue Oyster Cult is a fascinating band. Mm -hmm. uh, on the surface. The music is really interesting. It's kind of a, is it metal? Is it not metal? What is it exactly? The imagery, the album covers, and the, the stance that the band took and the photos and all that was definitely geared towards the metal crowd. But the music itself really wasn't metal. Mm -hmm. And if you know anything about the band's history, you know, um, if you're interested, check it out because they're, they're not a metal band. They never were. They kind of, they got a deal with CBS under the pretense that they were. They had already had a deal with Elektra, and the two things they recorded for Elektra were shelved and never released. So this was kind of a desperation move. The A&R person that they were dealing with at CBS said, hey, we want an American Black Sabbath. We want an answer to Black Sabbath. Can you do that? And they said, yeah, we can do that. Mm -hmm. And that, that was really the basis of their career in the 70s, was kind of trying to be the mirror image of, of Sabbath. And I think they achieved that here and there, but really at their core they're just a great rock band and this song is a perfect example of how they they kind of straddled those two worlds this song is absolutely brilliant uh regardless of the subject matter or the title it's just an amazing it's a beautiful song that said the middle section is is pretty metal mm -hmm. it's unmistakably metal and the lyrics you know there it's about the the allure of suicide which is a very kind of a metal thing i guess mm. But the whole thing, the, that subject matter is just wrapped up in such a romantic vibe in this lush, beautifully written song. And then, you know, the middle section punches you in the face and reminds you, oh, yeah, we're supposed to be Black Sabbath. <laughs> but, but it's almost like a mini epic in the middle there. But I honestly believe, in my opinion, this song is one of the top five hard rock songs of the 70s. It, mm. Maybe not even hard rock, maybe just rock. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's amazing. And I'm, I'm going to recommend, again, listen to this song. Take seven minutes out of your life. Put some headphones on, not earbuds, headphones, and sit down and listen to this song. It's it's going to take you on a trip. And if your skin doesn't vibrate, check your pulse. <laughs> you know, I'm going to have to go back and listen to this song because uh, I haven't listened to Blue Eyes Your for a little while. I actually just watched um, Heavy Metal. Remember the movie Heavy Metal? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just actually caught that on Netflix the other night. It's fascinating. Um, I never equated Blue Oyster Cult, you know, to heavy metal or Black Sabbath for that matter. I didn't actually. That's a, that's an interesting story you told me about the labels doing that. But I always kind of um, fashioned Blue Oyster Cult as more of just a, a kind of a 
hard rock act really if that even well you know you can get into those those genre tags and and just disappear yeah into your own navel discussing that because the the evolution of metal over the decades the the definition has changed so much Mm -hmm. i think you know me as a kid in in 1976 let's say Mm -hmm. kiss and aerosmith and acdc and all that stuff was considered metal yeah and, and, you know, we read Cream Magazine and Hip Parader and Circus, and they all referred to it as metal. Yes. And, and, but now, if you listen to that stuff, and, and I agree with this, because of the evolution of the form, it, it's really hard rock. And, you know, the, it, the stuff that's out today, which I consider, by and large, a little too extreme for my taste, that's metal. Mm-hmm. That's that's metal 2018. So I agree with you. Bluish to Cult is, a, is hard rock, and maybe not even all hard rock maybe just rock in general but um that's what happens when an an art form is around for a decade after decade it's gonna hopefully it's gonna evolve it would be kind of dull if it was just the same thing for 40 years but either way whatever you want to call it this song is just absolutely perfect they had they had everyone in that band could write and everyone in that band could sing and on each album i think except for alan lanier the keyboard player they all had a couple of songs that they wrote and they all had a couple of songs that they sang. Mm. But the real standout creative force in the band was Bakhtarama. Yeah. And this is one of his songs and it's, it's his masterpiece. Yeah, interesting point you make about Kiss and Aerosmith being labeled as heavy metal. And I think the reason why that was is just because it was so extreme and new and and aggressive, right? I, I remember when, you know, reading about Led Zeppelin, when they, when they came out with Led Zeppelin 1, people were saying, wow, heavy metal. But I mean, I've never really considered Led Zeppelin to be heavy metal. I've I have the the power of hindsight, obviously, because I wasn't there at the time. But I think this music, because it's so loud and aggressive, people said, "Well, it's it's heavy metal. It's so extreme." Well, a lot of the journalists that were writing about it when when we were kids, well, when I was a kid, they were all older than me. They all went through this the late '60s into the '70s, and when metal came out, it was pretty much just like extreme blues, like blue cheer. Yeah. Yardbirds and, Cactus. and that, and heavy metal was a derogatory term. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't a positive label. It was a negative label. And the 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 upscale mags, quote unquote, like Rolling Stone and and the the more literary mags, mm-hmm. used that as a term of uh, of derision. And it got to Black Sabbath got tagged with it, and all of the the metal that they didn't like got tagged with it. Yeah. Deep purple. Yeah, yeah. Just anything that was, uh, they, they thought it was just volume for volume's sake and it was all extreme and it was all mindless. And uh, they were wrong. Yeah. Okay, your next tune, sir, is by Cheap Trick and uh, it is called Off Wider Saiyan. Is that right? Off Wider Saiyan. Off Wider Saiyan. I'm not it's familiar with this song. Off Wider Saiyan Goodbye in German. Oh, okay. Well, what album is this from? This is from Heaven Tonight. Okay. Their third album. Okay. And Cheap Trick is, again, another somewhat misunderstood band. Um, everybody remembers them for I Want You to Want Me, I guess, and, and maybe Surrender. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they started out in the Midwest in like 75, 76, they had a boatload of songs already written before they were signed. They literally had like 50 or 60 songs done. Okay. And this is one of them. This was actually recorded for the first album, but it didn't get used until the third. Okay. Back in the day, these guys were a really subversive rock band. They were almost a punk band. Mm-hmm. And this this song again, I, 
there's no pattern here. Don't nobody worry about me, please. But this is about suicide as well. Just a coincidence. <laughs> okay. Uh, but one of the most important things that I look for in music that really hits my mark is wit. Yeah. And the lyrics that these guys started out with, they, they got a lot more polished in the decades to come and a lot more pop music oriented in the years to come. But at the beginning, their first batch of songs, their first three or four, five maybe albums, mm -hmm. the lyrics are hilarious and they can be enjoyed in, on two different levels. It just at face value as kind of mindless power pop guy meets girl kind of lyrics. But mm -hmm. underneath there, there's another level they can be enjoyed on for just completely ridiculous and sarcastic and subversive stuff. I'm not going to go into Surrender right now, but read the lyrics to Surrender and, and maybe even try to find analysis of these lyrics online. I've done it myself. I actually wrote one of the blog posts about that one specific set of lyrics, that one song. Okay. It is hilarious, and it's not about what you think it's about. And maybe if the whole world knew what it was about when it was on Top 40 radio, it probably wouldn't have made it. Uh, <laughs> but our fear saying, again, is about suicide, and it's it's basically just goodbye in five or six different languages. Mm. And the chorus is stolen from a Bob Dylan song. There are many here among us who feel their lives are a joke. Mm -hmm. That's from All Along the Watchtower. Yeah. And that's another thing that Cheap Trick used to do a lot, too, is grab uh, lyrics from different classic rock tunes. They, they stole Beatles lines and they stole the Stones lines. And they, they didn't do it because they had no ideas. They did it because they were kind of poking fun at it. Okay. Their cheap trick were like one of the things I admire most about them is they were operating in a genre and simultaneously kind of having fun poking fun at the genre as well. They were presented themselves as a power pop band mm -hmm. and they mm -hmm. wrote fantastic power pop songs, but they were also kind of having a little fun with it and being a little subversive about it too. There's there's two layers to cheap trick. Off Waiter Saying is about as hard as they rock. Yep. Which is pretty hard, but I just I maybe it's just me, but I find the song absolutely hilarious because it's about suicide, but it, it's presented in the the most slapstick comic way possible. Right. Again, I recommend you just sit down and listen to the song. If you don't crack a smile at least, then we can no longer be friends. <laughs> I'll tell you what I, I'm actually before you said that I wanted to go back and listen to it, so I'm going to listen to it and I'm going to let you know what my impression is. How about that? Please do. I promise you that I will do that. And we will remain friends. I'm sure. <laughs> okay, your next tune, Bob, is by ACDC, and it's from Powerage. It's uh, Gone Shootin'. I love this tune. This is a great song. I mean, the Powerage album was ACDC's, uh, a moment in ACDC's history where it almost seemed like they broke away from their well-worn pattern. We, we all know, we all love them band to death, but we know that they're kind of cookie-cutter songwriters. Yeah, They have a very, very tight formula that they operate in, and, and that's fine because it's in, they do it so well. You know, I could listen to a thousand songs if they all sound the same, if they're good. Yeah. But this album is where they kind of took a left turn and really kind of showed a direction that they could have gone in if they had pursued it. And I'm not going to say unfortunately, but they didn't pursue it. They kind of lapsed into a formula that they kind of stuck with for the next 30 years but this mm -hmm. this one record is it's really an outlier in their catalog and uh this particular song is really unprecedented i think in their entire catalog it's it's got a completely different vibe than what you might expect from an acdc song it's it's basically a blues song and uh another thing about the band that i really love is that when 
Bon Scott was the lyricist. This guy was a genius. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to appreciate the depth of that lyrical genius when when you're looking at this band and you're listening to the music and, and you just the whole vibe does not say lyrical genius. But the lyrics on this entire album are really fantastic. If, if you're somebody that is interested in lyrics, I know a lot of metalheads really aren't mm -hmm. in, in my experience. But this song, the vibe in this song is just really cool the lyrics are great and it's a unique standout in their catalog one of the things you know beyond wit that we mentioned with cheap trick one of the things i look for that really makes my skin vibrate is sincerity yeah and you can hear that i can hear that i think most people can hear that mm -hmm. the acdc certainly had in a lot of sincerity in their music really they they basically did the only thing they were capable of doing and but they did it so well and and so much that they just raised it to the level of of genius yeah but it's all sincere it's it's real the records mostly live in the studio there there's no pretense in acdc's music it is what it is you can't really reduce it down to any more basic elements and if you don't like it you don't like it if, but if you like it you probably love it yeah. If you're looking for something different, if you're, I'm challenging you. If you think, oh, they just released the same album 21 times, listen to this album, listen to this song, and, and you will be pleasantly surprised. Yeah. No, I agree. I'm a big fan of this song, and uh, you're absolutely right about that. I think that you know, Powerage was like that. I found that Dirty Deeds was like that a little bit too, with Big Balls. You know, they would kind of go, you know, off off the path a little bit every now and again, and 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 put songs like that out. You're right about them, you know, churning out the same record, the same record over and over again. I think a lot of people like that because it was kind of a familiar formula to the ACDC fan. But every now and again, you did get those little kind of gems like Gone Shootin' and Big Balls that kind of made you tilt your head and go, hmm, that's a little bit different. And I always wondered who was behind those. I think it was Bond, probably, right? Probably. I think that, you know, once they got to album number four or number five, they really started to work together really well. And things just progressed in a certain direction. But I guess the next album was produced by Mutt Lang. And he's got a very specific sound. He's probably got a very specific method. And, and I think the process just kind of squeezed all that sincerity and that originality out of the band. And they kind of decided that, okay, this is, we're going to head down this path now instead of the exploration we've been doing. We're going to. We're going to stick with this. It works. You know, mm -hmm. Highway to Hell was their biggest record. And I think they just said, okay, we're going to continue to do that. That If it if it doesn't, if it's not broke, let's not fix it. But I think if they had followed down the path of Power Agent and songs like Gone Shooting and What's Next to the Moon and stuff like that, yeah. it could have been the next Rolling Stones. Wow. That's a bold statement. But yeah, it, that is, it's, it's interesting to consider. Um, so now you got me thinking. I'm going to, I'm going to stay on this a little bit. I, so back in black, I think you're absolutely right about that. Highway to Hell came up. They said, we've got a surefire formula here. Let's stick with it. Highway to Hell does fantastic. Bond passes away. They bring in Brian Johnson, who probably had little to no say in, in the band's direction at that time, and put out back, back in black, which is obviously a, a, a massive, massive record, um, and stuck to that same formula all the way through pretty much, right? I mean, they gave a little bit in the 80s with things like uh, Fly on the Wall and Sink the Pink singles, stuff like that, but... I think the music is always the same. 
it, it all sounds like the songs were all written at the same time. They're all in that same zone. <laughs> it, and the difference between the records is really kind of the production value. Yeah, true. Yeah. That, that's really the only difference. But before that, though, before Highway to Hell, I think Highway to Hell is like the last one that they really had kind of an interesting personality that just kind of disappeared when they when they kind of joined into the big machine of, you know, top 40 albums and gigantic tours and stuff. They lost a lot of that mm -hmm. genuineness, if that's a word. Yeah. The moment that that's captured best, I think, is, is Power Age. Yeah, that cheekiness, right? And that was Bond just being kind of a ham, I think, a little bit. He couldn't help it. Yeah, and th that that added a new dynamic to ACDC. I completely agree. I'm, I, you know, I'm thinking about this now, and I think about Back in Black and how uh, four four time and and rigid. As, as much as I love that album, and I do love it, it's very um, palatable. It, it, yes, but it's not. It doesn't. It doesn't veer off. You know, with songs like "Gone Shooting," and I'm, maybe the, the the closest it gets is maybe "Rock and Rolling at Noise Pollution," when you can hear, you know, Brian Johnson kind of taking a drag from what I assume is a joint at the beginning of the tune, right? Yeah. But other than that, it's very workmanlike and it's very kind of straight ahead, and there's no fooling around. It says a lot that when Phil Rudd came back to the band, and I think it was the uh, Ball Breaker tour and the Ball Breaker album. Mm -hmm. When he came back to the band, he demanded that they play songs from Power Age and put them back in the set. They had been out of the set for a long time, and they had they played stuff on that tour. They played um, they played uh, Down Payment Blues. Nice. They played uh, Rock and Roll Damnation. Yeah. They played um, and they played something from Highway to Hell that they'd never played before either. I don't remember which one of those it was, but yeah, he was adamant that uh, I'll come back, but I I want to play some of the old songs that that have got lost in the shuffle and, and uh if i ever meet him i'm going to thank him for that <laughs> i didn't know that okay uh lest we talk about acdc for the rest of the podcast we should move to your next tune it is by megadeth and it's holy wars the punishment due now this song uh it's actually two songs kind of connected together and it all wraps up in the end mm -hmm. but uh when i was in my band orgasm which was a thrash metal band mm -hmm. This song is kind of what we aspired to. Okay. This was like this was the ultimate example of of what I think of what a thrash band was capable of. The song is it's technically excellent. The playing is fantastic on it. The the songwriting is is just immense, and uh, all the performances are amazing. The chops are there. The structure is interesting. Um, the precision that you witness when you roll through this song is just incredible. And oh yeah. You really only got that from Dave Mustaine and, and Megadeth. This record, Rust in Peace, is it's not my favorite record by them. That would be Peace Sales, but it was buying. Mm -hmm. But this one song, it's certainly Megadeth's best moment, finest hour. I, I Again, I recommend it. It might be a little tough for people who aren't into uh, the extreme end of metal, the thrash end of metal. Yeah. But it really just, it really reaches me because playing this music playing music like uh, holy wars punishment do is not easy and it's it's very physical yeah there's a joy in that when you have to work really hard to create art when you find that payoff it's just amazing it's, it's very physical stuff and you can hear that especially with the drumming but the whole band even to play guitar on stuff like this is just it's a real workout it's not easy and it's almost like 
runners describe that feeling of euphoria when they run and they hit a certain point, just the physicality of it all. It's it's really amazing. And I, my band, uh, you know, we again, we aspire to sound like this, and to to work like this. And when we achieved that, it was really, really rewarding to to work that hard on art and and to feel that payoff it was just incredible. One of the most um enjoyable things for me as a kid listening to Metallica and Megadeth and, and, and Slayer and so forth was the combination of, you know, the, the loudness and the aggression, but also the technical proficiency that was there. And I think that, you know, for the average listener, people kind of tend to, you know, overlook that in favor of the loudness and the aggression, but there is so much technical proficiency there. And you're absolutely right that these songs are extremely challenging to play. Well, I think there's a lot of, um, you know, technicality for technicality's sake is boring to mm-hmm. me. And I think that the nebulous kind of abstract piece is, is attitude. Mm-hmm. And nobody had a more extreme attitude than Dave Mustaine. <laughs> yeah. And you can just hear it, 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 not just in his vocals, which it's definitely there in the vocals, but the music is just punishing. And it's it's almost like a, a challenge, a dare, like, check this out. You know, it's mm-hmm. very very arrogant and it's very but it's inviting at the same time and once you jump on and take that ride it's just really exhilarating yeah it's very physical i would even venture to say that you know that's what fueled megadeth's music was was his ousting from metallica and and songs like this are just that sneering kind of response right that's just became part of his personality and and, uh, his mission was just to try to outdo them and you can hear it oh i mean there's there's a lot of technical thrash out there, technical heavy metal, but unless it's backed up by some kind of personality and some kind of attitude, it's boring as hell. A lot of people that I know that like Rush mm-hmm. also like Dream Theater. Yes. And I may I may upset some people out there who are listening to this, but I love Rush. Rush is one of the greatest bands that ever existed. Mm-hmm. And Dream Theater does nothing for me. Mm. And you know, you can compare the chops between the two bands and the technicality and, and the, the progginess and the complexity of the arrangements and all that. Maybe they're all on the same plane. I, I don't know. But I don't care to listen to Dream Theater. I don't feel any personality in their music at all. It feels very stale and very cold to me. The Rush, I grew up with Rush. I feel like I know those guys and I... I I've been through all the, the changes in their sound, and I really feel a connection with them. And I, I guess it's like an emotional thing, maybe. I have an emotional resident resonance when I listen to Rush. I don't feel anything with Dream Theater. And there's really got to be more to it. Yes, uh, technicality is really exciting and exhilarating, like we said, but it has to be backed up by some kind of real sincerity and some real personality and real character. For me, you know, that was the biggest problem with people like Engve Malmsteen because there was no feel involved. You know, the guy could play circles around virtually anybody else out there, but it got boring after five minutes because there was no feel. You know, it just didn't feel like anything. It didn't have any attitude or, or personality, you know? I think most of the, you know, the 70s was the era of the guitar heroes. And mm-hmm. The 80s was a different, different kind of guitar hero. But in the 70s, that's where metal evolved from blues music and mm-hmm. that's where a real in, in my opinion is the old man on his rant but in my opinion it, it was blues music inside everything jimmy page plays everything tony iomi played 
everything all those giants played in the 70s was all basically blues. Yep. And in the 80s, it wasn't really like that. It was very neoclassical and very shredding for the sake of shredding. And yeah. the 70s guys, they're expressing themselves. They, they are telling you how they feel mm-hmm. and kind of inviting you to feel the same way or, or relate to that. The 80s, they're not telling you how they feel. They're telling you, look how fast I can play. Yeah. Who cares, really? Who cares? <laughs> If there's no self-expression and there's no art in it, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I agree. It gets old fast. It's like it's like the hair, and and ultimately that's what led to hair metal's demise. Was it just got you know fast and big, and it bloated, and it just it it imploded. It was ridiculous because there was really at the end of the day there was no feeling involved. Right. It was all frosting and no cake. Exactly. See, we're gonna be friends, Bob. We already are. Yeah. I feel like I've known you for 30 years already. Well, see, there you go. We share a lot of the same insights, I think. I got to get you a copy of my first book, because as we were talking, I, I, I think you'd really enjoy it. We, anyway, we'll, we'll talk offline about it. Okay. Um, next tune is by a band that I'm not super familiar with. It's Budgie, and the tune is Napoleon Bonaparte's One and Two. Right. The, well, one of the things that Budgie is is probably mostly known for in mainstream metal circles now is that Metallica covered a bunch of their songs. Yes, so. exactly. But, you know, beyond that, there's a reason why they covered a couple of their songs is because they're great. One of the things about Budgie that was notable is their song titles were often really, really long <laughs> uh, on purpose and, and just kind of with their sly humor. They, this is one of the examples that technical technically correct title of this song is napoleon bonaparte one and napoleon bonaparte two. Oh, okay so i didn't want to type all that when i sent it to you <laughs> uh, <clears throat> this is a great song on their bandolier album okay iron maiden covered a song from this album they covered i can't see my feelings oh i didn't know that this is the last song on the record and it's it's budgie's masterpiece it's a it's a major arrangement it's a great song. It really does have a part one and a part two. I think my emotional attachment to it was when I found it, nobody I knew knew anything about it. Mm. Really felt like I had stumbled across something really special, and I, and it just made me love it even more. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, it's it's just an excellent example of kind of mid-70s metal as it was developing from extreme blues music which was like, you know, the Sabbaths and the Zeppelins and the Purples. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of becoming its own thing. The genre was kind of solidifying into something brand new, which we now know as metal. It's a great song. It's it's a kind of got a almost like a Maiden-esque gallop to it. The lyrics are really cool. There's a big, long guitar solo in it where the guitarist expresses himself really clearly. I'm, I'm being facetious. Um, it's a great song. I don't know another way to describe it to you. I'm quite certain that the majority of people who are listening to this probably have never heard it. Mm. So if you're into metal and you're into 70s metal and you, you have to go check out one of these songs we're talking about, this is the one uh, I think you should go check out. And I think you will be pleased. I will be doing that myself again. Okay, your last tune, Bob, is by Opeth. And it's the Grand Conjuration. Talk to me about this one. This song is a painting. This this song is almost indescribable for me to express the depth and the beauty of this song. It yeah. it is probably it's it's undoubtedly the heaviest song on the list. But 
it is a true work of art. It's it's dynamic. It has light and shade and different movements to it. it. It's really an incredible song, and it's another one that I kind of discovered by accident. I was flipping through years ago. I was flipping through my cable channels, the upper reaches of cable, where they're they're kind of full radio stations up up way in the high numbers. Yep. And one of the stations was a metal station, and I was like, oh, let's let's check this out. What what are they calling metal nowadays? Yeah. This song came on, and it stopped me dead in my tracks, and I actually sat down, hmm. waited for it to end because it just it reached out and it grabbed me, and I I could not pull myself away from it. Uh, and as soon as it ended, I went right to the computer and I researched as much as I could about this band. Uh, within the week, I bought the album that it was on, which is called Ghost Reveries. Mm-hmm. Now, Opeth is a definitely a prog rock band. Uh, the heaviest extreme of prog rock mm-hmm. and yes they do have the the death metal cookie monster vocals which i know a lot of people get turned off by <laughs> a lot a lot of my friends can't hang with that stuff and, no, and I, Nick I, and I. they're missing out on a lot of great stuff because they they kind of exclude it if it's got that kind of vocalizing in it mm-hmm. but michael ackerfeld the the guitarist and the singer in this band he he can do both and he does both extremely well this is his, if you haven't heard of Opeth, you're they've changed a lot since this record came out they're pretty much a full-on prog band now okay i think they've kind of left the the metal and the death metal elements of their music behind mm-hmm. but one of the things that makes this song so huge and effective is the death metal pieces of it it's really intimidating and it's really powerful. It's almost frightening. Again, I, I wish I could sit with you, Brent, and mm-hmm. listen to this entire playlist with you and just just share your, you know, just to be there to witness your responses to this stuff. And that's that's really why I write the blog that I write is because I'm I'm trying to share my enthusiasm about my record collection with everybody who I can get interested in it. I, I want everybody to look twice at the records they've been listening to for years, maybe with a little more backstory and, and enjoy it. And I just really get off on that. And I, I am seriously, if you wouldn't mind getting back to me with your thoughts on these songs, I would really appreciate that. Oh, I plan on it. You know, I was just thinking as you said that there are so many parallels between you and I that this is it, this is crazy. You know, I, 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 I've written, in essence... You know, you realize three books about what you just said. <laughs> I'm looking forward to checking them out. You're, you're literally, we're, we're speaking the exact same language. It's, this is very, very interesting. It's like now, when. Did you, did you say you're not into the death metal vocal thing? No, I'm not a big Cookie Monster vocal guy. And one thing, I mean, there's always going to be differences in, in people's preferences and stuff like that. But, you know, one thing I've, I've never, I've, I've always kind of um, found challenging is, is if I don't like the vocal, I tend to kind of dismiss the entire product. And I know that's terrible because it's, you shouldn't do that. But if I don't like the singer, I won't like the band in general. Well, you, because we've been friends for decades, you're going to listen to this song. You're, you're going to check this song out, and you're going to keep an open mind, and you're going to let me know what you think about it. I'm going to commit to that. And, and you're going to be honest, and if you hate it, you hate it. No, and you know, that's well, that's the other side of it. You know, I mean, you can't agree on everything, and, and I, I love the fact that, you know, sometimes, you know, somebody brought a show or a song onto the show the other week, and, and I hated it. 
And I said, the, the beauty of democracy is that I can tell you that I hate it. That doesn't mean anything. All it means is that I hate it. I mean, if you love it, that's fantastic. Right. I don't hate you. I hate your favorite song. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but I, I will. Uh, I definitely will listen to these and uh, I'm going to send you a note for sure. I just I can't believe, you know, how much you and I um, see eye to eye on this stuff. Okay, that is your last tune, my friend. Uh, I really enjoyed this chat. I think that you did an amazing job of describing these songs and making people, you know, interested in in listening to them. And I almost feel like some of these bands should be paying you a royalty. You, you did a fantastic job of describing these, and and uh, you know, it's it's almost like your blog. I'm going to go back to that. You did. A, I I just love it. It's nothing short of insightful and full of great detail. I instantly liked it as soon as I read it, and I continue to read it. So, listeners, please check out Mayo Noise blog. It's fantastic. If you're a music fan, you cannot miss it. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. You're very welcome. Thank you. And thanks for having me on the show. It's been a blast. It was a blast. You're a great guest. I, I love the interaction. I love the exchange. And again, I can't believe how much we, uh, we see eye to eye on this stuff. It's been great. I really enjoyed the chat, Bob. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. I hope we can get some non-metalheads out there to listen to some of this stuff and maybe even convert one or two. The great conversion begins. All right, this has been No Sleep Till Sudbury with Brent Jensen and my very special guest and friend of decades, Mr. Bob Mayo. Till next time, folks, take good care. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Sudbury, Leftover People, and All My Favorite People Are Broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon worldwide. <laughs>